number 80 was the number of a house we used to live in. Just as remembering the things that happened in that garden when he was about three or four number years old. Specific no, events. Number 80. Number 80. To him, they're just as real as something that's happened uh, half an hour ago. I think the earliest we've had is when he was just before his second birthday. Like some kind of um, slideshow, out of control slideshow. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. Special episode today for a number of reasons. First off, my first documentary out of 55, 56 episodes now. I've never randomly gotten a documentary, which is a little surprising. Uh, it, but it will definitely change the way that we do the show and talk about things. Because usually we're just making fun of some shitty movie, but this is real life. <laughs> this isn't a story, per se. Uh, it's also special because occasionally I'll get a good movie. I've never had a beautiful movie before. And the reason I jump from 2020 is a beautiful piece of filmmaking. I've taken notes. I have with me Emily's back once again. Uh, we're also joined by Bree for the first time and um, also joined by the person who didn't have to take notes like we did because he probably has it memorized. Uh, the person responsible for this beautiful film uh, Mr. Jerry Rothwell, the director of this documentary. Hello, sir. Hi, thanks. Yeah, what are the chances of, of uh, the film cropping up on a random film generator? It's brilliant. It it's amazing. Out. I loved um, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we get kind of like a random combo, don't we? Um, it's usually Like the first junk. time I came on, <laughs> uh, we had a movie about autistic. Um, so then I was... I came on as the autistic perspective. Um, and then I've been on a couple of times for other things, but it's like really hit or miss. <laughs> right, yeah. The yeah. kind of quality of, of stuff that we did. This was a good one, at least. <laughs> well, and that, was, that was a narrative feature that was written with a script with actors and characters. This is, you know, about real people. And I guess kind of a first question I had off the top for Jerry is you've made other documentaries. You made... A documentary about a, a yacht race i believe or you know why <laughs> why this what about this subject matter jumped out to you is there someone in your life that this sort of personally affected you or did you just what what made this subject that you wanted to do i mean there there, there are autistic people in my life and and i guess I, it, it, it's sort of a subject matter that I've circled around on other films. I used to kind of, you know, before, before I was a, uh, a sort of documentary filmmaker, I, was a, I, I did a lot of community media, often around kind of advocacy with um, learning disabled people and autistic people. So, so it's kind of like a, yeah, it's a, it's something that I've kind of explored a bit in film before. Um, and then I think also the book that it's based on, you know, when I read Naoki's book, The Reason I Jump, um, you know, even, even though I felt I, I knew a certain amount, um, it kind of, what's great about it is it evokes this kind of sensory experience. And that, I guess that's what we try to do with the film. Can I just say that I appreciate that you said um, disabled people and autistic people instead of people with autism? Yeah, yes. 
like you've obviously been around us and like know us and stuff like that like talk to actual autistics because people who don't have experience we get like socializing with us we can tell that really quickly <laughs> we notice those things a lot so we can tell like our, i mean and then like it's just i just wanted to thank you for that first of all yeah definitely i i second that Yay. So. Good. Thanks. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm so sorry okay. for interrupting. <laughs> no. oh, you're fine. That's a good interruption. <laughs> it wasn't even say, an interruption. Oh, sorry. I will say though, um, any autistic listeners, if you do decide to watch this film, it's amazing and it's definitely worth it. But go in with ear protection and eye protection. Um, I think a lot of what you were going for was like that heightened sound experience, which you did a really good job with that. But if you're autistic and going in already, um, it was mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, okay. So I know that was something like other autistics had mm. talked about when I talked to them about it. It was like some of us had really big issues with the sensory aspect of it. It's um, triggering. It's triggering it, because it's, it's sensory. Yeah, I mean, we know what your intention and it wasn't, it, you know, your intention doing that was. Um, and it wasn't like, oh my God, like I didn't have a meltdown or anything. Um, but it's definitely something that mm. autistics themselves need to be forewarned about because mm. um, it is pretty intense, especially of, like the sound for what got me. Oh, no, no. So. We did it. We did a um, there's a, a relaxed version of the film, actually, which so if if you if you're feeling that it might be so sensorily overwhelming, there's this version mm -hmm seek out the version i think it's called the relaxed version and certainly it's, okay. it'll be on the dvd i hope i think um which, which has it has sort of warnings like 50 it has sort of trigger warnings around oh, things good. which are intense about 15 seconds before they happen and then but also it's um it's kind of the whole thing's just just kind of quietened down a bit you know, so, oh wow so, okay that's yeah. good to know actually so then i can recommend it to my friends because there are several people who wanted to see it but they were worried about that aspect mm. so i'll make sure i recommend like the relaxed version <laughs> i wonder that's interesting yeah i wonder if I don't, i'm not sure netflix in the u.s have that and maybe that's something i need to make sure they try and take that on as far yeah as I, I, was, I was gonna say that would be good as far yeah. as i could see it didn't i didn't even know that other mm. version existed so and also mm -hmm. this and it just goes to show neurotypical me i didn't even think to warn either of you because to me it's like oh this sound design is so cool it's putting me in the headspace of what it's like to be them which is kind of the purpose of it i imagine because the sound design is amazing the way that it focuses on sound the way that an autistic person would you know as far as the the ceiling fan blades whirling around and the you know mm -hmm. the hum of the all of that is it's very cool and very interesting but yeah it didn't it's even occur to me I feel like, so with autistic people to kind of get from our perspective i feel like non-near or what is it neurotypical <laughs> kind of um they don't have the extra sensory feelers that autistic people do where it's like, I feel like our body's just covered with a bunch of antenna, like even in our eyes, even like in our feelings, like it's so, so intense. And I was just like, to portray that in a movie, you have to kind of like say, hey, from an autistic perspective, it's like being playing a video game that's constantly on the most difficult setting. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. like, whereas everybody else kind of gets the easy version of the video games, um, 
it was, I, I never even thought about how you would capture that in a film and I was really impressed by it. Mm -hmm. So I just, I thought that was really cool. It was amazing. That's, uh, you really did capture that. And that's like what I said, like I could see your intent in that. I knew right away, like what you were going for or whatever, um, because it, and it was like, it captured a lot of my experience. I call us sponges. Like we absorb everything. Like even things that I don't think people even think about, like neurotypicals do things that I don't think they realize that they do body wise, or just like their vibe. I call it a vibe that we can, that a lot of us pick up. Like everyone says, like, we don't know how awkward we are. Sometimes oh, we do, we do know how awkward we are. <laughs> Sometimes it takes an hour and we're somewhere else. <laughs> we pick up on that stuff at least eventually. And once we get to our age, like adults, you definitely know the, like the things to watch for. And you're like, you know, so yeah, no, it was great, but it was an intense experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess another question I had was why these particular kids, how were these of all the nonverbal yeah, yeah. how were they brought to your attention as well? As I, I mean, I think you, given that the film doesn't have a plot, you know, that, that it has this kind of shape to it. And, and I get, I, I sort of feel like you could have made that film about any uh, non-speaking autistic person but they, whoever it was, would have changed the shape of the film. You know what I mean? So because it was those four people, starting with Amrit, who's this amazing kind of artist in in Delhi in India, and then you kind of move through Joss in the UK, who's kind of going through his adolescence and it's very overwhelming at times. And then you go to Ben and Emma in the States, who are you know a, a kind of activists around around autism, and then you kind of end in Sierra Leone. It feels like that gives the film a certain shape. And if you'd shot with somebody else um their own i guess i hope one of the film things the film shows is how it, it, there's such a huge diff, diversity of people within even those five people that are in the film you know and their experiences of autism are really different from each other and i hope that's one thing a neurotypical audience come away with not to kind of think of autism as just one thing or or, or we're not one, a one, exactly yeah, yeah. No, and I was, I was really, I have to thank you for that because so often the narrative surrounds like the um, brilliant white guy, you know, it's like everyone mm -hmm. thinks of the Sheldon Coopers or, you know, that kind of stuff. And that is like the vanilla of the experience. I mean, oh, Rain Man, Rain Man, I'm so tired yeah. of your life. Dude, and he wasn't even autistic, the guy that was based on us. But yeah, he was, he was a mega savant, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and the crazy thing is, it's just like, because it is such a spectrum, the reason what I took from this movie in particular, especially, it really made me think of the way that I talk to my own child. Um, my youngest is nonverbal and um, my oldest is also autistic, but she's a chatty Cathy like me. And so you have very two different sides of the spectrum. And then after I watched that movie, I actually asked, my little boy, I said, Marky, do you understand mama? Have you understood everything that I've been saying all this time? And she just looks at me and he nods and I was like shocked. And then I just started crying kind of like the mom that was just like all this time, my child could understand me. And mm -hmm. um, not that I was saying anything bad, but I just figured that like it wasn't really registering with him. 
some of the things that we would talk about. So now like I make sure that I tell him everything that we're going to do, regardless of if he can respond in a way that I understand. It just broke my heart too, because that there are probably years where I'm trying to explain on his behalf and he probably was just like, look, my mom's not getting it right. Or, you know, and it just, it, it, I was, that really, it was really, it was a really emotional film for me. Um, going, like seeing the perspective of all the autists in the film and then also their parents realizing we didn't have this right. <laughs> So I, I really appreciated that film too, because I was just, it, it, it opened my eyes in a way that I didn't think that I needed them to open. And um, it's actually ever since I watched that and started communicating with my son more, he's starting to um, verbalize more. Mostly it's parroting and stuff like that, but he's trying and it's making so much of a difference. So I just wanted to thank you for that. and. Uh, I hope I don't cry. Um, I hope I don't really cry. Like I wasn't expecting any of this. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh amazing. Yeah. I have to say, though, too, I have the mom experience, um, too. And I had that, like, not during the film, but I had that moment that Bree's talking about with my own child because she started out non-speaking. She's a semi-speaker now, um, like I am. So we have selective mutism. And sometimes we can't speak. And sometimes we're just... La, 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 la. like like the opposite um but i did the same thing it's that internalized ableism where it's like where you they don't respond in a way that you can understand and i had that moment where i said almost the exact same thing to my daughter um at one point we were reading a book together stella luna if you guys ever like any parent who yes it is a really good book especially for autistics autistic kids but I had that moment where I said, she said something that was like, so she was like five or six. She said something so insightful. Like it was just way beyond her years. And I was like, I mean, it startled me. And I looked at her and I thought for a second and I said, you, you've been understanding all along. Haven't you? Like you've been like, you've been here all along, basically like getting what I'm saying because I was never really sure. And it's hard to that like we're taught even before my diagnosis I knew nothing about autism and I was a kindergarten teacher and I had autistic students in my class and I just I always felt that like they were my kindred spirits just because I was like oh this makes sense they don't like the sensations of this that's mm -hmm. very cut and dry so I had an easier time with my autistic students than my neurotypical students but it's just, it's, um, I didn't know anything about autism. And I realized that a lot of society is also the same way, whether they want to admit it or not. And I got diagnosed when my son was a baby. So I only had my official autism diagnosis three years, three, four years ago. And then I sponged it up and found out everything about the whole spectrum, the nonverbal spectrum part of it. And it's just, and it's constantly changing. And I find that really refreshing because I feel like the more we know, the better we can equip everybody for it. I think that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that thing that you said um, about uh, your daughter being beyond beyond her years. You know, that, I think that's that's one of the things about the book. You know, it's by this twelve-year-old, but it's mm -hmm. it's by this kid who has 
spent so much time observing neurotypical people and trying to work out how they work and yeah. and uh, and it's so eloquent you know so eloquent that a lot of people doubt that he even wrote it you know and I, I went to Japan you know because I knew about these doubts before I started the film I went to Japan to meet Naoki and he's now 26 years old I think he still communicates with a, a letterboard or else he, he types into a computer he's still non-speaking how many years ago because I remember I've yeah 14 years ago maybe yeah I think so. I, 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 I bought it at half price books. It was uh, $4. Right. And it was Bargain. a bargain. Oh, he's so amazing. And I was just, yeah. I related to so many of those things that he said about people. And he is very wise beyond mm -hmm, his years. Mm -hmm. And they're like, he couldn't possibly have written that. Mm. But I feel like poetry, like for some autists and like writing, a lot of people don't think I'm autistic because I've published poems and I went to school for performing arts and I've had so many jobs, but I'm just like, you don't understand like how far our masks will get us and how much we're actually observing and what's going mm -hmm. on in our heads. It's like, it's like another world, but mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I guess sometimes I have a hard time finding words to explain how I'm feeling, <laughs> but yes, I just, I felt compelled to like agree with you because I just, you know, when you feel it, you're like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. I can feel the happiness in my heart. <laughs> so is, um, was David Mitchell, who's in the movie, was he the first person to translate it into English, I take it? I think the book had been published in Japan, but maybe like in a, like an edu I, I don't know, like an educational publisher or something. I don't think it had gone that widely in Japan. And David Mitchell, who's the writer who wrote Cloud Atlas, he's a novelist, um, uh, he has an autistic son and he, his wife is Japanese and his wife had come across the book because it was circulating amongst um, parents of autistic young people in Japan. And uh, and so that's how he came across it. And so he, he can speak Japanese. So he, the, the two of them were, were translating it. And I think obviously because it was David Mitchell <laughs> translating it, then he found a, a publisher who would publish his translation. And one of the things we did in the, as part of making the film was to relates David's translation back to the original Japanese version. And it's a really faithful translation. I mean, that's the other thing people sometimes say about the book is that, oh, you know, David's a novelist, he's kind of up to the, he's kind of made it much more eloquent, but actually it's an incredibly faithful translation of Naoki's, Naoki's words, you know? Um, and I think David was, and, and Kay who translated it are really conscious of that in, in doing the translation that they can't, you know, they needed to be faithful to Naoki's. And you can kind of also see with um, the girl from India, I'm sorry, what's mm -hmm. Yeah, Amrit, yeah. Amrit, Amrit. Mm -hmm. it's just like, even when they can't talk or like the way that they verbalize, you can clearly see how talented and how articulate she is in her works, in her paintings. It's just, there's mm -hmm. no way that, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's amazing to me how society thinks, how simple we are. I think we we well, the neurotypical world judges people always on their external behavior, you know what I mean, and kind of draws all kinds of conclusions from from behavior, whereas often behavior is a, a response to something. It's like a survival mechanism or it's a it's a way of getting through, you know, and I think we your accomplishments or how you look. Yeah, I mean, how many of us have I mean, you don't look autistic is what I get a lot. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, I, I had an autism specialist say that to me, an autism specialist. And I already have an autistic child at that point. My and, doctors have said that and, to me. They're like, I'm so surprised you're autistic. 
I'm like, do you want to see my 10 page like diagnostic? <laughs> or... I'm yeah, sorry. it's like people are still so misinformed about us. Like, they I think we don't out. have kids. Yeah. We can't fall in love, that we have no empathy. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, I do so much, like, because I, I feel so much and I want to help everybody that I can. And so I'm just like, I don't know, there's a lot of misconceptions and I'm just happy that like our voices are starting to actually, I, I appreciate that a movie was centered around autistic voices and not per se voices, but our perspectives. And it like, it's, it's so much of a difference from like, do you remember the Sia music controversy? That movie came out, uh -huh. it's terrible, absolutely. Terrible. And then, and then we have something like this, this movie, the reason I jump and it's Beautiful. Just so refreshing and soul cleansing mm -hmm. that we're moving in the right direction. I suppose. I ugly cried again. Like I, I cry in lots of things, but like I did, I ugly cried I with this one because not only I didn't, I totally got it from the autistic perspective, but then also as the mom, like, um, Amrit's mom, when she was on the couch and like crying and all that. Oh, I was there. And then um, Joss's mom, Jess. Joss, mm -hmm. Joss yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, her I parents. Too. I loved her parents and their school mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Like, I can't even imagine the things that they were up against. But it's like, how do people not see the beauty in us? I, I just don't get it. Like, oh, it was amazing. Like, yeah, you totally, you guys totally got it right. It's an example of what we need, more of that kind of stuff. I, I, um, I would be so happy if there was just the movement of a bunch of films like this. Mm -hmm. I feel like our world would be cleansed of mm -hmm. ignorance a little, kind of. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's still pretty early here, and it's very, very toasty in Nebraska. That's all I'm going to say. So, <laughs> <laughs> Since there are people who don't believe that Naoki actually wrote the book himself and you, it, I think it's it's very good that you showed in the movie you showed the the two American kids in particular using the spelling boards and showing like mm -hmm. no this is how they could do it but if you I have a question now because now that I've just learned that you went to Japan and met him mm -hmm. did it why why didn't you film him I guess is there, oh, a, well. is there a reason for that yeah, yeah. um yeah I, I so I spent a couple of days with him uh you know he already knew we wanted to make a, a film based on the book um and I guess when I went I thought okay well it's going to be about Naoki it's going to be about this young Japanese boy age 12 you know who fans finds his voice and we're going to follow his kind of growth into becoming a writer and we're going to use extracts from the book and I had a really good amazing couple of days with him where you know, he's every bit as wise as his, as the book suggests, um, you know, being with him is, it's like incredibly, um, it's, it's very counterintuitive, his, his, you know, him, him, the way he will spell things out, kind of then be distracted by something then come back and complete the next few words in the sentence, then come go away and come back, you know, um, anyway, at the end of those two weeks, uh, two days, sorry, he, uh, he said, you know, yeah, great, great that you're making the film, but I, I don't want to be in it. And I don't want you to film my family. Uh, so that for me felt like, oh no, okay. So maybe the film's off, but it, it, in some ways it, um, I think it sent the film in a, maybe a more interesting direction, which is like, how might Naoki's words age 12 
resonate with other people around the world and and the narration fit perfectly with all those other stories yeah i think it does it makes you look at each of those people differently mm-hmm. and, and it's not to say that they're the same as now you're experiencing the same things as now but i think it just shifts where you sit as an audience to, to start to think about other things than the things you would usually think about. So in a way, and, and interestingly, Naki then, when the film was released in Japan, he did some sort of press interviews and things around it. And one of the things he said, was, he was asked, you know, why weren't you in the film? And he said, well, I knew that if I was in the film, it would only be about me. And I think that's a really, you know, in a way, it was a great gift for him to say that, you know, because I think, and I think he was absolutely right, even though, you know, all the way through the making of the film, I was thinking, oh, can I just include a little bit of Naoki? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Like, he's obviously, like, I think really, I believe it 100% that he wrote it. Mm. Um, and the people I've talked to, I've said, like, even as a semi-speaking autist, like, I totally got it. Like, Everything he says or said was on point as far as what I saw in um, in the film. And I'm really stoked. I actually want to read the book now. Um, oh, good. But yeah. I think it's ableism. You know, I think people don't even think people like, like me are capable of that kind of introspective train of thought or whatever. Um, but for many of us, I found like language, what I say is language is everything. Um, when my child was still non-speaking, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Can you explain what semi-speaking is? Because like our audience might not know, and I don't know either. Um, the non-speaking community prefers now, generally the common preference among non-speaking autistics, uh, which would be non-verbal. They prefer non-speaking instead of non-verbal, um, and semi-speaking instead of semi-verbal. Um, because they still verbalize, they still make noise. They're not completely mute. I mean, obviously so they like laugh. My son they makes cry. noises, right? So would I consider my son to be semi-speaking? Because a lot of the noises, and he's not really coherent. He makes a lot of uh, noises mm-hmm. and clicking noises. He'll go diddly with everything. Mm-hmm. He just does mm-hmm. diddles to everything mm-hmm. so is that like um is that semi-speaking because I was like maybe semi-speaking is like when I have a shutdown and I can't speak can he say any like words like does he say no yes or anything yeah, like he that says, mama chocolate <laughs> and uh airplane I'd like say that. if I mean I don't know if there's necessarily a threshold or anything like that um I would but say he's probably still like or? He's probably still considered non-speaking just because his um, communication is very limited and one word. Uh, When my daughter was non-speaking, she uh, still made, you know, noises and she, it was a lot of echolalia and that kind of stuff, verbal stems. And then eventually it moved from that to one or two words um, and pointing and all that. She had originally, what I say, I learned her language is how I explain it. Um, Cause she made up her own sign language and that's how we communicated when she was still non-speaking until she decided to speak and we put her in speech and all that. Semi-speakers, uh, usually when they talk about semi-speakers, it's someone like me who has selective or what they call now situational mutism. Um, and that's usually, they don't even know why um, it occurs. It usually starts in childhood. Too, but only if I'm like super happy or super overwhelmed and I can't process it in my body, like I won't mm-hmm. be able to move or speak. But 
-hmm. I always considered that to be like maybe a shutdown. So I was a little bit confused about like um, semi speaking and so I was just kind of. Sorry, I was just like, what is this? <laughs> no, that's okay. Cause I mean, it is, it's like, um, especially if you're newer to the community and stuff, I'm still learning a lot in those kind of spaces. So I'm definitely not an expert, but yeah, I mean, there's just like trends and things at, you know, things progress forward, things change. I mean, verbal used to be kind of the more common thing. It's still used. It doesn't bother me. Um, usually it's parents and professionals that use that kind of language. Um, I don't want to offend anybody at all. No, I don't think you will. I mean, <laughs> a lot of us understand that it's like, you know, things change. It's a, a lot right now. Our, our culture is changing so dramatically, even in like the last five or 10 years, just because there has been more awareness and like this awakening of the autistic movement. But you probably, you would have what I, I'd say you're a semi-speaker, which makes sense if you have a non-speaker. Usually, like, I, I know that I just if I'm if I if I have too much communication or if I've been too social like uh, last weekend I had to go to a music festival. Mm -hmm. I couldn't talk for two days. Yeah, so. a lot of semi speakers. Um, usually, it's like we can talk fine in a lot of instances. But in certain types of situations or in certain places or whatever, they like, go you have to mask to. Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot of times it centers around traumatic experiences that have happened to you where, you know, you were powerless. Um, and I think a lot of autistics have had those types of experiences. Oh, yeah. That's why there's so much of an overlap. I really think that there are tons of us, tons of us. You wouldn't believe how long it took me to realize I was a semi-speaker. And then I, since I've been talking about it, I've found gobs and gobs of other autistics, especially autistic women, who are also semi-speakers and didn't even realize that it was Probably a thing. Drama. So mm -hmm. I guess what I was trying to say was like, would, in the movie, would Joss, Joss, Joss be considered a semi-speaker? Mm -mm. Nope, non-speaker. Okay. Yeah, I say all I, of them I, I, I are non-speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Is that oh, because most of his use of language is is kind of almost uh, it's like a almost le le yeah and le using language is like almost like a physical thing that you're kind of mm -hmm. throwing between you and other people mm -hmm. or you know like a thank you for explaining because I was thinking I was like if I'm confused other people might be confused too so yeah it's definitely like something that's more like a newer thing i mean it's not like it's new but it's a newer thing as far as people are aware of because like i said there are so many autistics i really think that there's a large majority of autistics that are actually semi-speaking but we don't realize no one even knows that it's a thing no one most of the time has even heard of selective mutism and a lot of people misinterpret it they think selective means like we choose to be mute when it's actually we have no choice it means like selective situations so okay. that's why people have started calling it situational mutism but yeah it, it's a fairly new thing as far as like people are just coming to realize it but i think in it the future like it, it sounds so like many. something that would be in our control but the way that it's worded but i'm just mm -hmm. like actually it's like um trapped trapped we're trapped yeah, uh -huh. so I'm just so, like, I, I hate that they call it selective, you know? That's why, yeah, that's why a lot of people call it, like a lot of our people call it situational, situational um, because then there's less of that gap of understanding. But then also it's like, 
it's like the phrase being speechless. Like that is literal for us. There are situations that cause us to be speechless. A lot of times for me, it's when I'm like really wound up, either really scared, really happy, really sad, uh, really angry. Yeah. I was just talking yesterday about dealing with ableists and sometimes the things they say are so dehumanizing and so horrific to me that I get so wound up that I can't say anything. Uh, it's just noise or it's just and like, okay, I need to back away slowly. <laughs> and this, I'm interested like, in, in like what that, that experience feels like, like, is it, do you feel do you feel like there are words that you know but you just can't get or yeah. there are words that you want to say that you can't get out or is it like maybe five minutes later you'll realize oh i've actually just been speechless what i can um, say is like it's like a bunch of tangled string your thoughts become a bunch of string and mm -hmm. like uh, microphone wires and you just have to untangle them before you access them they are mm -hmm. all there it's yeah. like what i say too like i was like my, my brain it's like a really, really, really messy room and it's really, really colorful. And I guess the analogy that I use is I also have ADHD with along with being autistic. And when I take Adderall, it's like everything is organized. Mm -hmm. Nothing has been taken out of the room. It's just my thoughts are easier to access. Mm -hmm. And I have less meltdowns when I'm on Adderall. And mm -hmm. it's just, I feel... I, I guess I feel more confident in masking that I have everything under control. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I'm overwhelmed and my thoughts become tangles, I start to stutter really bad. And I'm like, and then they're like, what is going on? Are you having a stroke? And I'm like, and then I'll just shut down. Yeah. For me, it's like being trapped inside your head where you've got all these thoughts, but you can't string them along well enough and you can't make them come out. I mean, it, to me, it's almost like a physical feeling too, where it's like my vocal cords and the connection to them for my brain just freezes. And a lot of times too, my body freezes as it's well. It's like kind of a primal thing. Like if you're mm -hmm. here and you get stuck and you're just, or like, you know, the fainting goats, we're just so overwhelmed like by our bodies. And um, yeah. it, it, it's weird because they're like, what's going on with you right now? I'm like, I don't like, for example, I can't handle temperature changes. Like I'll start like freaking out because I feel trapped or like, um, I don't like really, really bright lights. Every time I go into a store, like everybody else in the shopping plaza, they're like, oh, it's fine. It's really quiet. And I'm like, can't you hear all the people talking right now? I can hear 40 different conversations. And it's like words become like bricks and you can't get them out of your mouth. You can't open your mouth. You're physically tired. And, or it's like, uh, I think being autistic is like having all the answers in the universe, but not having the communication to bring those words out in a way that everybody, you know, and that's why I think I really liked poetry growing up because I could just, I was really good with metaphors and similes. Well, and a lot of us are, I think, um, do you consider your writing your voice? Um, there's a lot of us too, who consider our writing voice, our actual voice, like that's who we really are. And I've always been that way as a kid. Um, I'm much more eloquent. I'm much more put together. My thoughts make more sense and they're more, and you, you don't know, have to worry about people looking at you. I hate 
I hate it when people look at me and that's why I was yeah. like, oh shit, are we going to be on video? I'm like, I don't have any makeup on, I'm sweating. I didn't do my hair today. And I was like, everyone's going to be judging me. Like as an autistic person, I'm hyper aware of myself. So I'm always like, I don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, but you're trying to draw attention to yourself. And I'm like, no, no, I'm trying to lead. Yeah, it's that on That's why it kind of made sense to me why um, uh, Naoki didn't want mm-hmm. to be because we don't want to we don't want to give people access to us all the time you know no and i think for him his writing is his voice you know he he wants to be seen as a writer he doesn't want to be misinterpreted you know this is the way that he wants to be seen you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's i I feel like that too like a lot of times like i said everything is language and for my daughter it was physical um before she could verbalize it and for me I you know I was actually what they called in the beginning um I talked early and all that so I was hyper yeah I've always had like a really large vocabulary but the voice that comes out of my mouth this person that you see right now this is not me the person that you you'll never actually know who I really am unless you read what I write because that person is me I totally get that. Like him and I are on the same page. <laughs> and, and us too. You and I too. And I was just going to ask, like, um, did you get diagnosed later in life or like as I a- had an autistic kid and that's how I figured out I was autistic. It's a very common experience, especially for my generation. I'm 36. Um I actually worked as a special ed para before like when I worked outside the home that's what I did I worked with other autistics my mom that we're all teachers too so many of us um my mom actually is a special well she was a special ed teacher for over 30 years she had an autistic living in her house and had no idea so yeah like I I don't know like how did you get it was it your thyroid that that made because like I have thyroid problems so my dad goes I wonder how you became autistic. Do you think that you're thyroid? And I'm like, dad, I've it's always genetic. been autistic. I've always been autistic, dad. <laughs> it's genetic. It's genetic. It's very likely that one or both of your parents is also neurodivergent. Um, it's hereditary. We know that much. Like I can sh- I can trace it back to my great grandparents. My great grandma was born in 1900, um, but there's no doubt. My grandpa used to, he was a farmer. He used to sing to his cows. Um, and name them and he hated anyone who mistreated a dog like right on site oh, i hate the, them too all the stories that i hear about them i'm like there is no doubt that they were autistic and i can see it like once i learned what it really is i can sit here and tell you because i like mapped out the traits. i can sit here and tell you all the autistics in my family and all the other neurodivergent like my family's full of them it's genetic but um, I, I think my mom definitely is autistic but she just she doesn't want to because even she'll come home from work now because she's a teacher also she was coming home last week and she's like the autistic kid hit me again and i said well what did you do i said why were you upsetting this child and she's just like she's like i just wish that this kid was nicer and i was like you need to change you need to change i said it's easier for you to adapt and make accommodations than it is for them to change how they are And that's what I say with my kids too, which is like, even after I saw the movie, I was like, it's easier for me to adapt my behavior. Cause sometimes like I have two autistic kids and uh, they're seven and five and they 
our sensory overwhelming all the time. Like, so our autism, just like a bunch of autistics in the same room getting like overstimulated by each other. So when my kids are too loud, instead of like telling them to lower their voice, which I do say, I'll just put on my noise canceling headphones because it's easy for me to do that and it doesn't hurt me and it doesn't hurt their feelings that I'm like, you guys are too loud. Oh yeah, our autism bumps into each other every once in a while here at my house. Cause it's like, uh, especially with little kids, like they have, well, neither one of us have like any facial awareness or like tone awareness a lot of the times. So we talk loud, we, you well, know, why would we do bounce this around. To, so why would we do this to children and like not adapt to other autistics out in the wild, you know? And it's just like, that's why- People don't think we exist, honey. People don't think we exist at all because our experience has been so- Well, and I'm just like, if, if ignored. we believe we exist, we'd have like um, crisis centers for like adult autistics or young autistic people, like where they can decompress, where we can have like sensory, Mm -hmm. uh friendly places to calm down you know nope, yeah in every store i feel like there should be like a sensory calming room my experience is uh at 36 i've been put into inpatient mental health um several times i have been arrested a couple of times for being autistic basically and not being able to control meltdowns and things like that in spaces where then I had cops call on me. Um, Were you diagnosed as bipolar or borderline before? They tried. They tried they one tried of the times I was in, yep. inpatient. And, and they, they gave me medicine that made my eyeballs jump. My doctor was pissed. <laughs> Jerry, I, I, feel like, I feel like you and I could leave. <laughs> it's great. I mean, if, if, if this is the kind of conversation the film sparks, then that's cool with me. It's brilliant. Yeah. I'm so sorry. We, no, no, it's really good. It's you really know great. <laughs> it's good. No, it's fine. Anyway. Um, but you were talking about Bree just now with your dad blaming your thyroid or whatever. I mean, we, we live in a country where, I mean, like you were saying about being arrested and stuff. I mean, life's not great for autistics, mm -hmm. but it gets as far as the origin or whatever the worst we're going to find is it gets blamed on vaccines which is mm -hmm. that's a whole another fucking thing you can tell autism speak for that but <laughs> the Sierra Leone stuff is interesting because that's like you're literally possessed by the devil and they should throw you in a river so that's a well, whole another level of like very so like think about like the timeline too. When were like they had those uh mental asylum or mental mm -hmm. asylums, people like us would have gotten ice pick lobotomies and we would have been put away for mm -hmm. being possessed by the devil. I was just like, mm -hmm. I I I am kind of great I am really grateful to be in the times that I am now because nobody can call me a witch and put me away or put me in one of those facilities where I have no control over who I am the it, it was it the the girl that was yeah the one that said that uh people told me to throw my child in the bush and drop her in the river yeah yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. I think that and that's why and then I think it, that that impulse of society to kind of get rid of people you know that that's not that's in all it's not just you know I was kind of 
really wary of that episode because people might think, oh, well, that's that's Africa, but actually, it's everywhere. You know, it's everywhere yeah. in our in in Britain. We ten years for twenty years ago, you know, we were chucking people into into institutions. Oh, yeah. Actually, still today, there are institutions that are brutal. Well, yeah, yeah, even during the pandemic, people were killing their own yeah. children because of the. They're like, oh, I can't afford this, or it's too much for me, and. I think what hurt me most about this is when that lady was saying, throw the child in the river. I think I'm like, your child is right there and can hear you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that just broke my heart. I just, I want, I wanted to adopt all the autistic kids, but I was like, where, where would I put everyone? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it makes yeah, me wonder here. a thing that I've never, oh, a thing I've never really thought about, I guess, except when I watched the movie, The Exorcism of, of Emily Rose. <laughs> Is that there? How many people over the decades and centuries who were autistic or neurodivergent mm -hmm. in some way were tortured and subjected to exorcisms because mm -hmm. families like, mm -hmm. oh, we need a priest because we don't understand. I, that yeah. had never occurred us, to me before. A lot of us, as far as like things that I've kind of, because I was kind of a history buff, anyways, because that's like an autism girl trope, you know. Oh, yeah, I love um, <laughs> but if, if you've ever heard of the stories of like Fay children um you know from long ago and they're supposed to be like fairies children that they stole the baby and put a fairy in place of it i swear those are autistic children that was their way of like explaining autistic children because they would say like the baby would be mad all the time and scream but couldn't speak a language any of them understood and all this kind of stuff you can see if you know what to look for you can see us throughout history we have been here and they said, yeah. like, autistic people, we always look young. And when I tell people I'm almost 40, they don't believe me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it's in other times, I mean, we were called, uh, it, this is not, they're considered slurs now, but um, idiot savants. Um, mm -hmm. We were Aspergians, you know, or Aspergers. We don't use that in the U.S. now because Hans Asperger was a Nazi, Nazi. Um, and a eugenicist. But um, it's now called a uh, HFA, high functioning. Of course, we don't like functioning labels functioning anyway. Labels. No. Um, but yeah, we've always been here. It's just that a lot of us didn't survive, or we were put in institutions or something, hidden away. Well, they said the average lifespan of an autistic is 36 years. Yep. And uh, most of them yeah. die by either falls, suicide, seizures. I mean, it, 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 like, I remember when I hit 36, I was like, look, I've peaked. Like, I've made it farther than so many other autistic people. And now I'm almost 40, and I'm like, huh, I'm still kicking. No one's going to kill me yet. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it was very interesting that, um, how much of it impacts like our daily life that we actually have shorter lifespans than norm normal people. Yeah. And it's just very sad because I think that a lot of the autistic adults is like, there's not very many um, help and support for autistic adults. Like okay. I, um, I see a specialist and she specializes in autism and, but I'm very high functioning for, and then, so she's like, there's a lot of things I can't really help you with. And I wish there are more support groups for like autistic parents that are trying to bond with their children after a pandemic and. It, there, or just like autistic parents and autistic kids, because a lot of times they, it's for neurotypical parents. They gear everything towards neurotypical parents. And if you talk to an autistic parent, it's like all of us have tried to join those groups. 
and it's been a nightmare. It's been a nightmare because we get spoken over, we get treated like crap, um, and there's so much or, you're not that it's just not children. And I was like, you know what? But I was like your autistic child when I was a child. Yeah. And when your child grows up, they are still going to be an autistic adult. Yeah. And you and they're going to be more aware of the things that you say. I still remember when my dad was trying to explain math to me as a kid, and he says to me are you retarded? Because I could not understand him. I, ha I He had to keep repeating it. And I did, I was so shocked. I was in fifth grade and I just go, maybe dad, I don't know, but I can't understand. It was like a geometry he was trying to teach to me. And I'm just, you know, everyone's like, oh, you, you must be good at math. I'm like, no, I'm good at word with words, but I'm not good with numbers. I'm calculate. You're hyperlexic and dyscalculic, probably. A lot of us are. I'm hyperlexic, which means I taught myself how to read before kindergarten. I read way, I've always read well, read um, and written well above beyond my age, um, but I can't do math. Uh, it's basically like dyslexia for numbers. Dyscalculia, uh, uh, dys, I, I learned that from my friend, um, Dan. I went to Wales two years ago for an autism conference and Dan from the Aspie world is a good friend of mine. And so he taught me about dyscalculia. Yep, yep. A lot of us have dyscalculia or dyslexia. It's very common. Um, and a lot of us have what they would call, we'd be twice exceptional these days because it, yeah. But anyways, I keep stealing the conversation and I feel so bad That's because fine. I'm aware that I'm doing it, but I can't stop. But <laughs> I will say, Jerry, if you have any kind of like a hard out or anything, you have to go, just let me know and we will carry on without you. And you can. Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, there's that trope of the, you know, the sort of the autistic, it's almost like superpowers, you know, but then you see something mm -hmm. which is silly and heart harmful but then you see things in the movie like joss being able to hear the green boxes from however far away and you're like oh he's daredevil like you know what I mean? like, <laughs> so you can sort of see how that idea comes about you know well we do have daredevil abilities like when i think about it because i feel like we just our feelers are just like totally mm. attuned, whether it's like we have something that we're like hyper aware of and I, I don't know i just it it's very cool but that's also dangerous because they're like what are you exceptionally good at mm -hmm. what if uh, my children aren't exceptionally good at things that other people can't see you mm -hmm. know i'm like well my kid knows every wrestling move and she's like seven years old and she could tell you all about this but like it has to be something that everybody cares about and relates to, right? Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I think it's ableism. They don't, they want to find some kind of good thing about us, you know? So it's like, oh, well, you know, there are a lot of high maintenance, but at least they can do this. Um, because there, most of us aren't like gifted or anything like that. We're just normal people that happen to be autistic or whatever. But a lot of that kind of stuff, like you call daredevil, it's hypersensitivity. Um, 
it's basically it's a pain in the ass to be honest. <laughs> Very <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> the electricity and the fan. I can hear what's going on outside this room. Um, and that is very distracting. So it seems cool to you guys, but trust me, it's overrated. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I mean, I think in the, in the film, yeah, that's what we tried to do. Like, say you come into it through Amrit and, and try and just create that sort of room mm -hmm. full of fans that's kind of vibrating. Mm -hmm. And But then by the time you get to Joss, he's experiencing that as really overwhelming, I think, some of those oh, things. Yeah. And, well, what I took away from like that scene too, like when he's going into the tunnels where he can see all that stuff, mm -hmm. it made me realize what somebody said, maybe it was his dad, that I'm never going to experience mm -hmm. happiness like that. Mm -hmm. Autistic mm -hmm. joy. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. just going to say, like autistic joy is probably the most genuine and uh, authentic emotion you'll ever see it's and the best. that's when I feel bad for people that aren't autistic because I'm like well you guys are never going to get as stoked as I get about wrestling you know or just like you aren't going to like feel so happy that your hands have to like emote and for me that's really sad Autistic joy is beautiful. Mm -hmm. If they, if people really saw us for who we are, autistic joy is beautiful. Stimming is, and it's how we exist. And yes, we're like, we're a lot, um, but we're breaking in. We're dealing with a lot too. So oh, yeah. that, I love autistic. My daughter's autistic joy is so beautiful to me. Ah, it's yes. just so happy. <laughs> well, I was gonna ask you two, um, what did you what did you guys learn about autism from the film or like making the film that like really impacted you guys and i mean i guess what what's the most profound lesson that you guys learned about autism when the nt experience yeah like what is the nt experience um kind of like watching the film, the film or, or getting like killed yeah i mean i think for me making it you know, the biggest thing I think was was coming to sort of understand that sensory experience more and, and the consequences of it for people. And then that makes you much more alert sensorily in your own life. And, and uh, you know, because I don't think any of those experiences are like the neurotypical brain maybe filters out a lot of that stuff. But as soon as you start to pay attention to it, it's there, you know, it's like it's not like it's 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 we're in the same world with the same things. But um so, so it's made me more attentive to certain things, I think. Mm -hmm. open. I feel like it's just very opening for a lot of people. And it was, I mean, for me, I just like felt relief about the film. And just, I was so overcome. I talked about it for days. Like I, like on Instagram, I talked about the film because a lot of the hashtags like actually autistic. So all of my autistic friends could read it. And then they saw the movie and they're really excited to talk about it. I do want to say um, there have been several uh, autistics I know that have been uh, that have watched it recently. But if you guys uh, anything to do with non-speakers, um, our biggest thing with non-speakers obviously is we need to listen to their voices. I think that's a lot of the message of the film, which I love. Um, but we need to stop assuming we know what's going inside, like going on inside other people's heads. And neurotypicals need to understand that we're in there, like whether they understand what we're saying, those children and adults who cannot like verbalize or, you know, 
use words. There's lots of them um, on Instagram and Twitter too that you can just listen to their voices. And it's it's just amazing. I'm just so happy with the autistic community. I mean, we have some kinks to work out because a lot of stuff is kind of getting weird lately, but I feel like overall we're doing pretty good. We're progressing. Yeah, but the hashtag, uh, listen to non-speakers listen to non-speakers. That's something you can follow. Um, I still think, unfortunately, there's not a lot of stuff on there yet, but a lot of people um, are especially like advocates in places like Africa and all that kind of stuff where they don't have as many, as much representation have been really pushing for that too. Like listen to non-speakers. Like we're inside, we're still human. Like there's, non-speaking doesn't mean non-thinking. I was um, really happy to, I'm, and I'm sorry, this is just an extra that I wanted to add. I I was really happy to see um, non-white autistics in the film because, you know, we only see like white autistic boys a lot of times in films. It was refreshing to see black women, black men, Japanese. I, I just really appreciate the diversity and how autistic folks are all over the world and, um, we're all dealing with the same struggles and stuff. It's just happier to see more representation of all mm -hmm. skin colors and genders. Well, and we all have our own individual experiences and our own struggles. I mean, obviously there in Sierra Leone, I mean, it's literally a life or death here in the US. It's still a life or death for many children because of the bleach cures and- um, What about the JRC, Stop the Shock? They're- um, Yeah, they're still getting shocked. Um, people are like, oh, it's CCT. I'm like, no, it's actually a torture device that's on their legs that- Yeah, well, and if you agree, them into submission. Yeah, I mean, we're still dealing with inhumane treatment here in the US. So, I mean, yes, we all have our different struggles based on, you know, all the different intersections and our location and all that. But there's also a thread that attaches all of us, I felt like um, we're all connected to a little bit. So yeah, I was really glad that you kind of went around the world. And I love Ben's line. That just reminded me of Ben's line where he said, our civil rights are, we don't have civil rights. And I was like, yes, Ben. <laughs> and you can tell like he's paying attention. And I think a lot of people would just dismiss him off the bat, mm -hmm. just because all he says out of his mouth a lot of times is S, 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 S. Mm -hmm. When, if you read what he's writing, he's very eloquent, you know, he's 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 right there. Like he's getting ready to have his own apartment. I wish I knew what was going on after that. I wanna see his- <laughs> I, looked into, I looked into those speaking boards too. I started looking for stuff that would make it easier for me to communicate with my son. And I was finding these little things like with simple commands on it. Mm. Do you guys have any suggestions or like where we can find soundboards like that? There's the, 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 the young lad, um, Jim, Jim, who is uh, speaking autistic, who sort of plays the young boy in the film that kind of, you know, mm -hmm. journeys through. So he uses something called grid, grid player, I think it is. Um, mm -hmm. And that that enables him to spell, but also to you know to pre-program it with certain words, or you know that he's he's created. Yeah, that, that's one. It works on an iPad. I think. I'll DM you after the show. I know lots of resources. Okay, because I'm just I was like I like I um have been doing a, uh, like ASL kits and stuff. So in case that there's ever a time where we just don't want to talk because we're tired, we could just talk crap about people with our hands. Me and my kid. <laughs> My kid and I just text across the house a lot of the 
go take out the dog. <laughs> See, if the only, like if the only thing that this episode has accomplished is that you two are friends now, <laughs> we my work here is like, done. Like on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I'm happy. I I don't know. I I'm just I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Something yeah. Emily, you, you were talking about a couple minutes ago. We hear Ben's mom talk about words where she says when they're all eating with the uh, the other family that they know, and she says, mm-hmm. you know, f- his whole life we've been putting words in his mouth just to fill exactly the gaps, mm-hmm. to fill the, the space. Yeah, not even thinking that like, oh no, the words are in there. We just haven't figured out how to make them come out yet. You know. Exactly. Which is kind of what you were saying. Yeah, it, that's why I say everything is language. Non-speakers have their own language. It's, you know, everyone talks about how we have aggression problems and meltdowns. And they think that we do these things for no reason. And if you pay attention. We're regulating. Yeah, I mean, we have reasons for the things we do. Non-speakers are just not able to speak in a language that anyone is willing to understand. If we would put more resources towards that and start listening, you know, for them, put more into AAC, which is, oh, I forgot what it stands, alternate something communication. It's basically like what a lot of non-speakers use. There's different programs, typing, um, pictures and all that. So if we would start putting more resources into understanding us and especially non-speakers, we could start to learn those languages. I just um, had a terrible thought, like, you know, cause autistics have been around since the beginning of like humans were here. I know that they've been here. I just had a horrible thought. Like what about all the people that were enslaved that had autistic children? What did they do to them? Probably kill them. I mean, like, I just try to think about like all over the world, like how all of, and it just, it's a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down. <laughs> like, oh my God, sorry. I was just like, if you saw me go white, I was like, oh God, well, my talk, brain. Let's talk about something happier then. You were talking about autistic joy, the both of you. And the thing that I, mm-hmm. something that I definitely took away from the movie is that this, the shots of Justina sitting in the water Mm-hmm. Oh, I love when that. they talk about, you know, there's this idea that that they don't have emotions the way that we think of emotions or but it's it's full body emotions. It's emotions in mm-hmm. a way that I will like you said, I will never experience. And that kind of sucks, you know, like just yeah. from head to toe. That's what joy looks like her sitting in the water, yeah. you know, and that's that, amazing yeah, to see. Was- have to move she was great with autistic joy she really was like i, I loved that kid and especially they're playing i think jenga near the end or whatever mm-hmm. and or when she was in the car and that her mama was comforting her because of all the outside noise mm-hmm. and the yeah. thing, what i can explain to us is like our emotions are like lava and we can feel it all over our bodies and it's so mm-hmm. overwhelming it's kind of like when you hit your funny bone and you feel like moving it around because you're like, oh gosh, this sensation is so uncomfortable. Like, so when we're stick with, when we're with our feelings or when we're experiencing something, a lot of times like meltdowns, that's just us physically like getting the sensations out. And like, we could probably lift cars when we're having meltdowns. Um, and I don't, you know, um, everyone, like people have asked, why do you hit yourself when you're having a meltdown? And I'm just like, I'm trying to get the uncomfortable feelings out of my head. And I'm just trying to be normal. And I have to like move it around because I feel like my whole 
body has a bunch of fireworks and explosions going through it. And I was like, does it feel like that when you guys are upset? They're like, explosions? I was like, yes, it physically hurts. Everything hurts. And then when you're in that meltdown, you don't feel any pain. You're just letting oh, yeah. the lava explode out of your body. I have a nice bump on my head, actually. From I had a meltdown yesterday. Fun times. I hated even admitting that. Um, but it's the reality that we face. And I hit myself in the head many times. So now, I, I mean, I didn't feel it at the time, but... I have a nice little sore and then spot we're just, right we, Like we always feel ashamed after it overwhelms and we just want to go to sleep. And you know, like, I, I, I love it when people are like, I hope you, uh, if anybody observes it and they're ableist, they're like, I hope you enjoyed that tantrum. Yeah. I hope you got what you wanted out of it. And I was like, I didn't get anything. I just emoted. Well, I call meltdowns kind of like explosions and shutdowns like implosions. When I'm shutting down, I feel like everything inside of me is collapsing. And when I melt down, I feel like, like you said, like like everything is coming out all at once. Um, and it's, I mean, there's a degree, it's not pain, but there's a discomfort that what we are trying to, it's an overwhelm that we have to get out of us now because it's like poison. It feels, um, it's it all like going up. Mm -hmm. I guess, or sneezing, like it's just as involuntary as a sneeze. Yeah. But speaking well, of meltdowns, yeah, I think you went, I feel like you maybe kind of went out of your way to not focus on that or not film a lot of that or show it. But there, you did catch Joss's one where with a please stop hurting daddy, mm -hmm. which is like disturbing to watch mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. And that was that you or a cameraman who got kicked down the stairs? So that so, so, so that, I mean, yeah, I, I think the, the feeling, you know, we, we worked with kind of autistic advisors on the project and, and there was a sort of feeling that it was probably, it was important to talk about meltdowns and, and Nauki in the book talks about meltdowns and, uh, just as mum, I think had, um, filmed this meltdown, uh, that, that, that just had, and. I was kind of, I'm, I think we were all really wary about how, whether, to, what to include, you know, how to, how to try and do this without, how to speak about the, the meltdown experience, but without, uh, you know, breaching someone's privacy. And uh, so, you know, great, we were sort of pairing away in a way. And in the end, it kind of, I think the sound runs of the, of the meltdown, but you're seeing other kinds of images of him with his family and you're hearing Nauki's description of what a meltdown feels like. I don't, I, I don't know. For me, when I watch the film, I, th I am always thinking, uh, you know, did that cross a line? Is that, you know, I, I don't know. I sort of feel like it's important that it's there. I don't know whether it, it's, it's... I, I you think know, it's, you did that just right. I don't think, because we have this phenomenon, and I'm sure you're aware of it, Mr. Rothwell, um, where parents film their yeah. children's meltdowns and put them on YouTube mm -hmm. and then talk about how awful, you know, it is to have an autistic kid, all this kind of, it's very stigmatizing for us mm. because neurotypicals just cannot grasp to a certain they extent. They talk about what, what it does with. to them, yeah. but they don't understand what it does to the person experiencing them. Mm. Yeah. That's why I'm glad, like, honestly, I'm really glad you didn't show like the full meltdown because it is such a private, such a mm. heavy experience. And I feel like it's been exploited so much because of ableism and just stigma and misunderstanding that 
I think the way you showed it was just more, way more respectful of their privacy, of his privacy. Um, because a lot of times, most of the time when these meltdown videos are on YouTube, it's children who have absolutely no power over the situation. And sometimes it's like, it's gotten to the point where parents like antagonize their child to the point it's abuse down so that they can film it and then they're filming it and not paying attention to what the child needs so it's abusive basically it's abusive and it's exploit ex mm. exploitative or whatever and it's not consensual on the autistic person's fault or on the autistic person's side so it's very mm -hmm. i don't know mm -hmm. it's like it's like filming someone watching a seizure or filming someone having a seizure without asking them first mm -hmm. um, and not helping them if they need help um, in that situation. It's like everyone gets the fact that it would be really messed up and they feel really uncomfortable. If it was a seizure, they need to start looking at meltdown <clears throat> like that. It's mm -hmm. a voluntary response to outside stimuli. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't watch someone having a seizure without their consent, then you shouldn't watch people having meltdowns mm. without a consent because it looks to other people really like scary, like aggressive um, and like a tantrum. It is not, it is something we do not have control over. Um, and it's very, it is, it's very personal, especially the older you get because people don't accept behavior like that of grown people. So it's like, People I've had meltdowns in front of, even my own family members have been, they, they look at me differently and we can see that. We can see the judgment. We can feel how neurotypicals feel about us and it's not a good feeling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think, I think well. you did it really well. Thanks. That's great. That's good to hear. I mean, I think, I think, um, yeah, I, I guess parents post that because often the parents, uh, very isolated in their experience and they want other people to oh, yeah. but i think that's one of the problems with the representation of non-speaking autistics is that is that so much they are represented through the parents story and the parents do have a story and it's a really dramatic story but it's not the story of the oh, autistic person you know well and yeah that's the issue i have a lot of times we have in the autistic community what we call an autism parent now they're good nt parents i don't want to demonize parents at all i'm a parent of an autistic mm -hmm. child myself i know how difficult it can be to have a disabled child and not have proper support but it's not the child's fault and the child is a human being, even though they're your child, you don't own them. They're a separate individual with their own thoughts and their own feelings. And yeah, it's, I understand the desperation of needing more support. I need support as an adult that I'm not getting, let alone like having the support, proper support for my child. But to exploit, you know, to, to put that out, it's not good. It's not an awareness thing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times they think it's an awareness thing. Probably. What it does is just further stigmatize us, you know, so I feel for them, but like the autism parent types, they won't listen to grownups like me. They won't listen to autistic adults. They say, well, you're not like my child. You can talk or you're not like my child. You can live independently. Well, I was your child at one point, or my child was like your child at one point, 
just because I'm autistic doesn't mean I'm incompetent. I am an adult, just like you're an adult. I have an autistic child, just like you do. You're probably autistic and don't even know it. <laughs> you know? So it can be very frustrating because a lot of the adult experience is erased, let alone if you're non-speaking, uh, you know, a non-speaking child or adult. So we really, really have to bring that narrative back to us and less like we want parents in our movement and we want their support and we want their input, but everyone needs to realize this is our lives. This is our happiness. This is our future as a people. If they would allow us to help, you know, cause the big line is always, what am I going to do? What am I going to do when I'm not here? What is my child? What's going to happen to them? Well, if we could get people to work with us down that road, by the time your child is grown, we will. Other mm -hmm. autistics will be here when you're gone. Their community, like they are a part of us. If we got the support we needed, we'd have those types of supports in place for your child. So it's like, we're on your side. <laughs> you know, like, help us. Quit talking over us. You know, because we know exactly what we need. Well, anyway, sorry, yeah. I get wound up. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. Joss's dad in the movie has that very emotional line that the, the idea that joss is going to be alone is very frightening it is it is because it is for not everybody ends up alone though mm -hmm. i've been married i uh have been in like seven long time relationships like all over the world i'm like we can we can be with mm -hmm. people and i feel like with movies like this and with more acceptance i actually like i hate to say it because i don't want to take your art but i hope that we see more movies with the perspective of autistic eyes and ears and feelings and i just hope that like we can all coexist together and we can see a movement like these types of films or just entertainment like even if it's in a tv show as long as like we get to i don't know get the audience to empathize so oh, yeah. or sympathize so yeah the, the the scene after that um the line from joss's dad is is uh ben and emma together in a cafe isn't it and then they they go into this uh housing development where they're going to get a flat i mean that so for me that was about saying yeah they don't need to be he doesn't need just doesn't need to be alone they're there if, 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 well, if, if there's yeah, support you know. now, like the, the supports and i feel like I, I personally feel like Joss will never be alone. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I hope that for all, he will not be alone. They won't be abandoned. There are people, there are so many people that care and love people just the way they are. So, and I think we need more, like, like you said, like those, um, I don't know what kind of setup that was for sure, but I'm assuming it's like, it's going to be housing for other disabled adults and stuff. And they're going to have, you know, people on call for assistance or whatever. I love that. That's what I was saying. I'm so stoked. Uh, like, I would love to see how he's doing now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Are you keeping up with them? Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they came to the film start, uh, launched in Sundance when Ben and Emma came with us to Sundance and did the Q and A's and things oh. there. And then, but now that I've, we've done a lot of Q and A's recently, and yeah, they're they're living across the corridor from each other. Aww. They each live with one other person who's who's not a support worker. It's someone who kind of share they flat share with, but who kind mm -hmm. of you know is there is there for them if needs be. So Ben, I think, lives with his brother, and uh, Emma lives with a family friend, and then they have a support system around them that probably they would have, would have done at home I as well. I, I call we can my have friends. More of that. 
<laughs> I call my friends my emotional support humans because when I have a hard time functioning, I tell them that I need more support. And sometimes I can't even talk on the phone. So like my friend Meatloaf that's out in the living room right now, um, he'll make the phone calls for me, even though like, I'm like, yes, I'm 37 years old and I should be able to make phone calls, but I still freeze up because I worry about like, how am I going to present myself to these people on the phone? And I, you know, I just, I really want to know how everybody's doing and with the Q and A's and stuff and that Joss and everybody, since they are autistic people, how are they handling um, life after the film? Is it overwhelming? Are they doing well overall? Or like, how are they? Just I think, I mean, the pandemic has affected, you know, the, the, the niche differently, I think. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, Amrit's kind of made some incredible paintings during this period, like big kind of canvases. You know, Joss, it's been hard, I think, because he's been in a residential school and obviously they've been short of staff and uh, it's been much harder to go home or to have visits or, you know, so I think for a lot of those people that are living away from home in in some kind of institutional setting, then that's been really, the, the pandemic's been really hard. So so it kind of, it varies, you know, but but um, yeah, I think, I think everyone's doing okay. How has Hi. it been for you? Um, you said that you have... Um autistic family members what were their thoughts about you making the film and how has this impacted your life and your um, relationship with the autistic community or your autistic family members i mean the autistic family members are a rel relatively distant family but um has it impacted i mean i think it's I guess all along there's that feeling I had, like, like it questions whether I should be making the film, you know, like, like there's that, that idea, which I think is very, tr very true and right in, uh, in the autism community of like nothing about us without us. And I feel we kind of made the film with, you know, there were a, a lot of autistic people who had inputs, really significant creative inputs into the film throughout the production of it. But you know, hopefully, the the, the next, the next, the, the 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 kind of wave of films that you're talking about, uh, um, very you know, should be written, should be made by autistic filmmakers. And what, one of the things we did is on the on the film's website, we've started to kind of profile films by autistic filmmakers. So there's kind of, I think, six six short films there now. But so that, that I, I guess, uh, yeah, my my life's been massively enriched by a connection with uh, the autistic community. I think. Uh, and doing and, something well, you know, doing something well, I feel like that would be really awesome because I'm not sure if you're aware of all the backlash Sia got for that movie that she made. A little bit, yeah. It was just before our film came out. Did that make you nervous? Did that make you nervous? I felt, I felt she, there were things she didn't do in that which were just huge mistakes you know like, I, like to, the, I to, talked to autism speaks and we're like oh no <laughs> yeah well to and to cast uh you know to cast a non-autistic actor in that role and then and then when there was criticism of that to kind of double down on that i think you know those were just yeah they were, they were it was yeah very yeah. mistaken when it's a document when it's mostly a documentary um you the the film was entirely focused on their voices which mm. yeah, was just mm. amazing so like i couldn't imagine any sort of backlash have you gotten um a, gotten a little a, a, well uh, two kinds i guess one 
one, I think there, there are obviously, I think some people sort of think that the film tries to be like a simulation of, you know, autistic experience, whatever that is. And there isn't, there's, in my mind, there's no such thing as like the autistic experience that you can't generalize yeah. in that way and nor can you simulate it. You know, you can't, a film can't take you inside someone's head completely, can't right. sell you. But what it can do is maybe shift you to one side of the way you usually look at the world, you know, and that's, I guess, what we're trying to do. So there's no simulation for me. And so I think sometimes there's been criticism of, well, that's not me, you know, that's, that's mm. not... Uh, that's not that's not my autism um and that's fair enough you know i don't think it I, I sort of think it hopefully it doesn't claim to be it's about these these five people so that's one kind i mean the other kind of backlash is is the same backlash which has been against naoki's book and i think it's been a lot from maybe from the sort of behaviorist end of of approaches to autism which are basically saying you know the film promotes uh you know fake communication that that and those kinds of comments and i kind of it's I, I to a certain extent i try and argue with, with that but i i think often those people are quite you know locked into a point of view that's not born of listening to autistic people or or, or spending time with yeah, or spending time with non-speakers or spending time with non-speakers who spell, you know. So, because for me, you know, I was aware of that scepticism about letterboarding. And I do think that, you know, that facilitated communication, which is where this that scepticism started in the 90s, because, you know, it involved physical support of people pointing at letters. And that's that's clearly a really influenceable thing and and, you know, perhaps is is kind of untrustworthy in the communications that come out of it if it's done badly but i had no doubt having spent quite a lot of time with ben and emma and with Nauki, that the the things they were spelling were their authentic communications you know and and so i don't have a lot of time for that argument oh yeah it's mostly been positive and then i was hoping that that was the sort of feedback that you were getting from people that have seen your film and so that's what I was hoping for. I was like, I hope they didn't give you a hard time. I haven't. <laughs> no, I haven't... people have been really kind and generous on the whole. Yeah. yeah. Before, uh, before we let you go, I had just some filmmaking sort of comments and questions. First off, the that shot of the boy under the the brick train trestle is mesmerizing mm -hmm. to look at. Mm -hmm. That is such a beautiful shot. Mm -hmm. Where Love like it. it took me probably five seconds to even go where even is he what where is he standing on i don't understand the geometry of what's happening yeah it's gorgeous once you i think we started to look for these things where which would slightly would take you a little bit of time to realize where you were or what it was or yeah exactly and that was just this amazing viaduct near where i live right so that's often our experience too is like we don't see everything as a whole mm. at first some, I mean, some of us not all you know we're not a monolith but it's like you can see the the pieces of the picture but it takes you a minute to like make sense of it mm -hmm. um and that's what causes sometimes like the delay the response uh the delayed response or whatever um but it was beautiful yeah i loved that i'm glad you brought that up because i was like mesmerized <laughs> It was hypnotic. It really was. Now, once it's obviously you sold the film to a distributor or whatever. Once it's on Netflix, and I don't have a huge, huge audience, but if a bunch of people watch this movie because they listen to this, do you get like a check for twenty six cents every time? <laughs> I wish. Are we buying uh, a dinner? No, I think uh, sadly, sadly not. I kind of um, 
the, yeah, basically the, the, the film sells to different kind of territories and places. We, you know, I guess you go to Sundance and you think, great, you know, our film's gonna, um, gonna, gonna sort of do some, some huge sale, but actually what happened in the end, and in, in a way, I think this was a good thing is we ended up, um, the film being bought by just different cinema distributors. So it's mainly had a cinema release in different countries. And some of that, unfortunately, immediately after that, the pandemic hit, so which made it quite hard to get it out. Uh, but it is gradually getting out there, which is great. But I, I, I don't know whether it'll ever, um, uh, you know, go into profit, as they say, around films. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long, for a documentary, it's always a kind of a long journey to, to that. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I hope someday that it gets the recognition it deserves because like you said you're worried about not being autistic and still doing it we're always going to need support from neurotypicals always sometimes we need neurotypicals to open the door right i mean you did what like what needs to be done like what true allies can do is help us support you know help support us in ways that we that we need or that we ask um, you boost our voices what you did was basically open up an avenue for discussion of non-speaking autistic voices you're bringing awareness to them so i think 100 percent like you're like this piece of work is amazing i don't think um at least from my autistic perspective and a mother of an autistic i think you're right where you needed to be oh so, thanks yeah. a lot means a lot <laughs> which leads me to my my last question yeah. which is that and hopefully this isn't a touchy subject for you jerry but What's wrong with Oscar voters that this was not even nominated for this? <laughs> like, honest to God, what, like, like Crip Camp is great. Like, a lot of those documentaries are good, but it's baffling to me that this did not get nominated for an Oscar. Does it I hurt you inside? <laughs> I mean, you kind of, uh, it, I think the Oscar process is, I mean, it's such a, it's quite a political one, you know, where, where, uh, if you have a, like a big streamer behind your film, you can get it seen by lots of people. My, I mean, I like to think it might be that just it wasn't good enough, but it might also be that a lot of people didn't actually see it. It was too um, good. It was too that, good. A lot of people just missed out because they're lame. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. The day the Oscars got announced, I think uh, it, the Variety um, had like five, you know, five... Uh, documentaries uh, breaking the mold that will be in the Oscar long list and uh, and the reason I jumped was one of them but yeah it didn't it didn't make it I think it, I I don't know uh, who, who knows the reasons for that you know I, I I don't know you can get too wound up about this stuff so I've heard the Oscars are kind of a joke though as far as award shows go I think oh, the yeah. Oscar is it the Oscars or is it the Golden Globes no that's the Golden Globes that's the one where it's like it basically is how much like who you know or like I think it's a lot about what you, what you see, you know, there's, I think there was 600, I don't know, a huge, maybe it wasn't 600, but a huge number of documentaries, you know, and hey, nobody's going to watch all of those. So yeah. who knows, you know, it's about what, what, what people this watch. This is like the only movie that I watched um, this year. Like usually I just watch documentaries and uh, listen to podcasts. So the, your movie was the only movie that I saw this year. Wow. That makes you feel better. So, so it wins the award of your best movie. <laughs> I will make my own Oscar for you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we'll I think any Oscar. other, uh, Emma or Brie, any last questions or comments well, before I, I push my magic sure button again? 
I do want to make sure that Mr. Rothwell um, has the chance to throw out any of his IDs or anything like I always do. It's like, oh, come see me on Twitter at blah, 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 blah. If there's any promotion, like oh, self-promotion, yeah, I'd to love that. to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know his time is limited okay, and let me it's get like my pen. Let it's me. late or something. <laughs> um, but I definitely, I'm like, oh, now I'm going to go find you on Twitter. <laughs> I'm, I'm like the world's worst kind of Twitter user, but I, I, I do a little bit of retweeting, but not. But um, there's a couple of things I've, which sort of we've talked about, which might be interesting to people. Like one is is you, you were talking about um, anticipating the kind of sensory aspects of the film, and we did this visual guide to the film. So it's like a PDF which guides you through the film, and it's like the equivalent of the relaxed version, but in paper in PDF form, which sort okay. of tells you where the intense moments are so it kind of so that is in the the uh <laughs> where is it it's the reason i jump uh the reason i jump film.com and if you go to the watch section of that then you'll find um those those guides there's also some packs which are aimed at kind of professionals and a self-advocacy pack around the film as well awesome. um and I... the other thing i'd like to point you towards is a is a review by uh, which was just came out yesterday by a non-speaking autistic man called ben bro uh which uh yeah has a really lovely thorough review of the film where he he interviewed he sent us various members of the production crew questions and then has written his own response to the film wow that's awesome oh and i do have one more thing before we go it's not a question but i I said I was going to mention it on the show because I was trying to get any non-speaking perspective before I came on. Just because even as a semi-speaker, like, I wanted to make sure that their voices, you know, like you did. I want to make sure it's not my narrative as much as it's theirs. One little autistic boy, I know his mom, who's also autistic, he's non-speaking. I don't remember how old he is, but he's, he's fairly young still, um, probably maybe five to eight or something like that. He said he loves being autistic. His mom shares um, with consent the things that he uh, <laughs> says occasionally on Twitter and everyone underestimates him. And this kid is a gem. Like he's always saying really cute things, um, but he wanted, you know, he said the other day, I guess, I love being autistic. And I think that was um, so cute. I love it too. I love it too, mostly. Yeah. I think that's what in the in the book, I mean, the, the book that Naki wrote at the age of 12, he kind of begins the book with sort of thoughts that are a bit about like, why was I born? You know, why am I? In fact, when I went to see him, I asked him, what was he? What did he? What was he like as a 12 year old? What, what was he? What was going on for him when he wrote the book? And he said, um, when I was a child, I wasn't sure that I was a human being, which I thought was such a kind of powerful statement. And then by the end of the book, <laughs> You know, you, he says exactly the, the things that, that your friend's son says, you know, that he's he's proud and glad to be autistic and wouldn't want to change it. So it's that it, there is that shape to the, to the reason I jump. And his more recent book that he wrote uh, a couple of years ago called um, Fall Down Seven Times, Get Up Eight is like the work of a sort of 24 year old, much more mature kind of piece of writing but and, and really interesting book. That yeah, is, I, I can feel was, his journey kind of in that too. Like you highlighted that well from the beginning to the end where you mentioned, you know, it's like you do feel that. You feel super alone. That's part of the autistic you feel experience. Like an alien. How many yeah, autistic like, kids like have thought, hey, maybe I'm an imposter mm -hmm. trying mm -hmm. to be human. And you know, that's what I found out. Like, I mean, 
one one of my friends uh, is is a rapper, Open Mike Eagle, and then he said that growing up he felt like he belonged to another tribe that he just didn't have access to, you know. And those were other autistic people, and I was like, it, it is kind of an exclusive tribe, but we're all over the world, so you'll never be alone. And that yeah. is such a comforting thing because as children, you know, growing up autistic and undiagnosed, we just felt like we didn't really fit in and that we were just like scripting things and trying to appeal to society to make us, am I normal now? Am I normal now? Am I doing this right? So wait, I really wait, 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 wait a second. That. Wait a second. Back up. You just glossed over something. Did you just say you're friends with Open Mike Eagle? Yeah. Do you know him? I know of him. Oh yeah, he's amazing. We just okay. <laughs> yeah. You just said but, it yeah, like it was also... no big fucking deal. Like okay. Hey, I know people. I know people. <laughs> I know. Well, it is that time of the episode where I once again press the magic button to find out what my movie for next week's episode will be chosen completely at random from everything streaming. Pressing the magic button now. Next Do week's it. movie is The Moose Head Over the Mantle. From 2017, it is on Tubi. Looks like a horror movie of some sort. So back to business as usual on this show. <laughs> so flattered to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm very That's glad all of you are here. I'm very thankful for your time. I'm thankful for the movie, Jerry. Bree, where can people find you on Twitter and socials and things like that? Um, I am Obriwan on Twitter, and I think I'm Obriwan on Instagram too. <laughs> that is basically it. I'm just kind of those two places. Okay, and M. Um, as always, I'm Emily Chicken Tender on Twitter. Um, it's at E Chicken Tender, and then my IG. I have my Facebook deactivated now. Um, so good call. I'm really moving up in the world. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Uh, my in, my Instagram, I think, is similar. It's like Emily underscore chicken tender. Um, I'm probably, there's probably not many Emily chicken tenders, so I'm not hard <laughs> to find if no, you just safe. type me in. And I'm mostly on Twitter these days, so come see me on Twitter. I'm Jerry. Uh, I'm uh, Jerry underscore Rothwell on Twitter, and just, and just Jerry Rothwell, Jerry with a J on Instagram. Excellent. I am at Heath Lambert 78 on Twitter. The show is That's So Random P2. The show has an email address, That's So Random Pod at gmail.com for your questions, complaints, and grievances. And um, is there anything else to say? I don't think so. Thank you to all of my guests. Thank you for a beautiful film. And um, that will do it for me this week, I think. See everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Cut. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Wow. It was a pleasure meeting you. Like, I told her, I told, like, my daughter, I was like, this one's a big deal. <laughs> like, as far as I'm concerned, you're like a celebrity. So I thought it was amazing. I'm glad I got to be on here and actually get to talk to you. <laughs> I'm probably going to go find you on Twitter as soon as we're done. It was amazing to, yeah, to th thanks so much for the response to the film from both of you. It's, yeah, really kind of moving. Thank you for, thank you for giving our people a voice. Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is just the greatest gift. 
So it is. It really is. Uh, we need more people like you. <laughs> like, I assume I just, you're talking like, to him. The good energy you put into the world already is really good. Heath is a good one too. Like I said, he had ah, me on. Get out of here. No, we did, what was, what's it called? Keep the Change. If y'all have never seen it, you should watch it. Yeah, that's how we met. I had gotten a autistic movie before uh, called Keep the Change, which Mm -hmm. was a narrative actual feature, but it had autistic actors. And I knew when I did that episode, like, I can't, this can't just be me and my brother fucking around. Like, I need to get (laughs) autistic voices on here. And that's how I met Emily, because I reached out to her. And now I've done it again with Brees. And now we're friends now, too. And Emily's been on... Emily's been on three or four other episodes that weren't autistic related just because she was such a good guest and I wanted her back on things. So is this uh, number six? Am I, is it number six or number five? This might be five. Yeah. I'll have to count. (laughs) Yeah. This is my first time. So I'm just so thrilled. (laughs) Well, you did great. You were worried that you wouldn't be able to do this. And I'm telling you, I'm honest, me and me and Jerry could have left and you guys could have just had the rest of the show and it would have been perfectly entertaining and fine. So I'm sorry to everybody. (laughs) Absolutely. Do not be sorry. All right. Well, uh, let everybody go. Thank you very much.